bless you. Greetings from the great metropolis of Nederland. <laughs> That's just a laugh, but I'm serious. It's great. It's huge. No, we love you. You are our family, and our Nederland family extends their love and appreciation to you, Pastor Brandon, Bishop Clark, and all of the Triumph family just says hello, and God bless you. Thank you for coming out on this beautiful summer day. We, uh, we have some very important things that we'd like to accomplish today uh, in light of all that has gone on this week in our nation and just, just here in the past few years. This country needs a lot of prayer. And uh, Josh is a former police officer. We're honored to have him as part of our uh, leading our young people, speaking into their lives, and just praying over them daily. And um, Triumph Church prides itself on being a very diverse people. We love everybody of every race, every creed, every denomination. We love everybody. And in light of these tragedies that happened in Dallas and Minnesota and Baton Rouge and so forth, Triumph Church, just uh, Bishop Clark and all the rest of us pastors just wanted to give an official statement on where Triumph Church stands so that there's no question in your mind on what our heartbeat is for this tragedy and for this nation as a whole. And I'm reading this from Bishop Clark. Our hearts have been broken this week by the tragic shootings in Baton Rouge and Minnesota and Dallas. They have reopened an old wound in this nation, the wound of racism. Blood flows from the wound with every new video and television report and eyewitness account, and it is very serious. This serious wound cannot be dismissed as someone else's problem relegated to the past or ruled insignificant. It is a deep wound that divides us as a nation and tarnishes the ideas that stand for that we stand for it cannot be healed under the cover of denial or by the hands of hurried masses the wound is a result of a demonic weapon expertly formed against us this weapon cannot be diffused by the carnal nature of man or the futile workings of government the root of this problem is spiritual and must be dealt with on that basis those who are blind to the oblivious spiritual implications are likely to cause more injury and increase the casualties. We need God in America again, and we need the church to be the church that Jesus built. Christ addressed racism in his teaching about the Good Samaritan. He exposed the problem and declared the solution when he said, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. It is simple and profound yet able to destroy the weapons of Satan and heal the wounds of humanity. The Bible goes on to teach us about perfect love and how it destroys Satan weapons of fear. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is the fear of punishment, and this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he first loved us, 1 John chapter 4. He knows that we know the certain, we know for certain that God loves America and that he richly blessed her and made her beautifully diverse. Yet we are wounded by racism and divided by misunderstanding and mistreatment. The good news is that God has a church and the ministry of reconciliation and a mandate to reconcile and heal the nations. 
Triumph Church has been on the forefront of racial reconciliation since its inception many years ago. And we have been a voice to the nation and a multicultural model in our city. We do not have all the answers and are certainly not perfect, but we are committed to the process of reconciliation and healing of our land. Our God is the great physician, the healer of all wounds. His power is greater than the power of the enemy, and his love is able to heal the deepest and oldest of wounds. He will not forsake us nor turn his face away from us at this time. He will work in our behalf and guide us to the place of peace and wholeness. The earth is surely groaning for the manifestation of the sons and daughters of God. That's us. This is our moment as the church to rise and declare the truths of God's word and the power of his love and to minister reconciliation to our divided countrymen. Today, headlines around the world will reflect the deep wound in America. Through prayer, unity, and kingdom connections that supersede all earthly associations, we can write tomorrow's headlines so that they read, An army of reconcilers has risen in America. Please join us in prayer for the next few days as we pray for healing in America. Pray for the families of all of those who've lost loved ones this week, those of the civilians and those of the police officers. They are suffering today and need our love and support. Pray for the wounded officers and their families. Pray for the family of the Dallas shooter. Pray for the local police force, for their safety and for wisdom in all situations. Pray for peace in the streets and in the halls of government. And pray for racism to be completely eradicated in America. Pray for the church to rise to this challenge, to be reconcilers, and to turn this nation back to God. Amen. This morning, I've asked Josh to help me pray because we're going to begin the prayer process of praying over the officers that were injured and over the families of the officers that were killed. Josh is going to pray for wisdom and safety over the officers and just the eradication of racism in general. Coming from that background, he's the one more qualified to pray over the wisdom and safety of these law enforcement than I am. But I want to this morning just begin to pray for the peace and the strength and the comfort of God and those who have lost someone or had was a victim and is now recovering from this terrible incident. Would you join me in prayer? And then, Josh, if you will just uh, continue the prayer by praying over the wisdom and safety and eradication uh, and so forth. Let's join hands. If you would stand, join hands across the aisle because this is a sign of unity, saying that we are not stopping, we're not quitting, that we believe that Jesus is the answer for the world today. God is in America still. He loves his country. So would you just unite in prayer with me? Dear God Almighty, we need you more than ever in our country. We are desperate for your presence. Lord, don't, don't evade this. But Lord, we invite you to come into our midst and into our country and into the streets and into the government halls. We ask God that you would flood this nation with your grace. For Lord, at its birth, you shed your grace over this nation. And Lord, because of that grace, 
You have protected us and guarded us from these kind of incidences. But, Lord, they are raising their ugly head. But, Lord, we step on them in the name of Jesus. We place them under our feet. They are under the dominion and power of Jesus' name. Lord, it's the church. We are the answer. We are the hope for the world today. I pray that we will become the responders, that we will become the, the mouthpieces of, the, of God, that we would become the lovers of all soul, that we would be the peacemakers and not the troublemakers. I pray, God, that we will not sit idle and let the problem continue. For, Lord, if I just sit back and watch it happen, then I am part of the problem too. Lord, I want to be in the middle of what you're doing. I want to be your voice. I want to be your hands. I want to be your feet. I want to be your messenger. I want to be your reconciler for the disunity, for the disconnect, and for the pain that is happening. Lord, I plead your blood over our nation. I apply the precious blood of Jesus to break every chain and every trap that the enemy has set. I thank you, God, you will free us. Your blood was sent to free us and to cleanse us and to purge us of all evil. Lord, let your blood rain upon our country again so that we are free. And Lord, let this city, let this, let this America be like a light set up on a hill so that all nations will see that the glory of God is still alive and well. Bless our time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Y'all just keep your heads bowed. Father, we just come before you in the mighty name of Jesus, Lord. We just pray for safety and wisdom, Father God, for all parties involved, Lord Jesus. As police officers kiss their family and children's goodbye as they go out to work, Father God, just as the people get kiss their families and go out to their jobs and to their daily lives, Lord Jesus, we just pray that there will be a peace and a love that is going to prevail anytime someone comes in contact with each other, Father God. We know that this is a time for the church to step up. This is a time for the people of God to arise, Lord Jesus, and just set a standard, Father God. Not just to love some people, but, Father, you've called us to love all people, Lord Jesus. Father, that each and every time a police officer goes and makes contact at a car or a home, Father God, love will pour out of him in Jesus' name, Father God. That he'll have wisdom, Lord Jesus, in every decision that he makes, Lord God. Father, that he'll be thinking about his families, that he'll be thinking about his God. That he'll be thinking about the impact of the community and, and those around him, Lord Jesus. Father, we know that the devil just comes to steal, kill, and destroy, Father God. So he's trying to use every tactic he can to destroy the bond, Father God, of its people. Father, we just curse it in Jesus' name. Father, we just ask right now, Father, that you just begin to eradicate it, Father. Yes. Father, that there will be no race, that there will be no prejudice, yes. Father God, that we are all one people Hallelujah. under you, Father God. That there is no color, there is only blood, Father God, that you shed on the cross for us, Father. Father God, that we are all one people, that we are all one sh children, Father God, under you, Lord. Father, there is no other way, Father. That this will not be a time for the devil that is going to reign and rule, Father God. This will be a time for the church to shine. That it is going to backfire on him, Father God. That he's not going to know where it's going to come from, Lord. That it's going to be a mighty move, Father. That churches will begin to unite you, Lord. Yes. That there won't be any uh, distances from what congregation you're with or what church you go to. That we'll just be a people of God. Yes. And then we'll be able to show this world, this country, what it means, Father God. What it means to be a Christian, Father. What it means to love you. And what true love means, Father God, to all those around us. In your name we pray.
Thank you, Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you for praying. Give God a praise. We already thank him. We broke through heaven today through prayer. We have pleased God with our prayer and our faith. You may be seated. And we have touched heaven, and heaven has touched us. And America is going to continue to exist and be very successful because of praying people like you. And we just keep lifting her up. Yes, the enemy's mean, he's ugly, he's cruel, he wants to see America fall. He knows we stand for Christianity. He knows that we are a light on a hill. He knows that we're one of the greatest last hopes for the world today. We set the standard. And we as the church are the standard bearers. And we've got to just start saying, you know, I've sat around long enough and look what what happened while I sat around and did nothing. Look what happened. It's... I'm going to get into my message here in just a minute, but I just want to say this, that there was a little girl that was uh, summoned, uh, Jesus was summoned to go see this little girl because she was dead. Jesus said, no, she's not dead, she's just asleep. And they, they wanted to argue with him, oh Lord, we know she's dead. The mourners are already there, they're already weeping, they're already having making arrangements, it's over, it's dead. And I'm sure Jesus is wondering, why are you coming to get me then if you've already declared her dead? Somebody somewhere believed that there was still hope and still life to be gotten into that little girl's life. So Jesus went to the house, sat in the room. Now I want you to know, he removed all the unbelievers. First step, he got rid of all the unbelievers. He said, if you, if you don't want to see what's about to happen and you don't believe that I can take care of this and bring what you say is dead back to life, then I need you to go. Some people in your life are just going to have to go because they're only going to be there like wet blankets and you're trying to start a fire. So Jesus went into the little girl's room, removed everybody that just was going to be a hindrance, and all he spoke was Talitha Kumai, Aramaic. And it just simply means, arise, my daughter. He knew what they were calling dead, and it was all over. It's done. There's no hope left. He knew what they called dead, that he was a resurrection and a life. And some people will look at the condition of America, and they will say that, oh, man, all hope is gone. It'll never see its glory days again, and the glory days are over. I'm here to tell you I disagree 100% because I feel Jesus in my heart speaking to me and speaking to the church and speaking to America. He's saying those same words, arise, my daughter. He's saying, get on up. I'm not done with you yet. And I believe that that is what God is saying to all of us as the church. Church, don't sit there and play dead. Don't write it off and say, "It's it's gone, it's over. God is telling us as the church, and then he wants us to go and speak the same words to America. Arise, my daughter, because I have work for you to do. And immediately the girl got up and cooked him some supper. That's a great thing. She must have been from the South. Because that's all we know to do now here. It's just wake up and eat. <laughs> I, I was battled between several messages because of the seriousness of what's happened this week. And um, I, I have two messages prepared. I'm only going to give you one. That's all you paid me for. No, I'm kidding. You didn't pay me nothing. But I, I got to thinking, you know, we've, we've read the statement from Bishop. We've prayed over officers and families and so forth. 
I don't want the enemy to shut down our hopeful messages by continuing to just dive into this one area that's just wrecking our lives. Amen? I want to preach to you a promise that God laid on my heart several months ago, and I have not been able to shake it. And it's it's prophetic, um, but it is also exciting. I'm going to talk to you today about earthquakes. And people will say that earthquakes are tragedies, that they are always bad news. Not always. Earthquakes, yes, will remove the unstable things and those things that were not built to withstand the shaking will fall apart. But those things with strong foundations and were designed to last through a shaking, they will always remain stable and firm. And earthquakes also will shake up under the surface things that are not exposed but need to come to the surface. For example, an earthquake will shift different plates uh, allowing certain minerals like uh, gold and silver and diamonds to come to the surface. Otherwise, they would have been undetectable and would never been, uh, and would never been exposed. Earthquakes also shake and shift the plates so that other fuels like oil and natural gas and other things that we use today will come to the surface and they're easier to get to and they're recognized and discovered because the earthquake took place. If the earthquake had not taken place, then things would have still remained hidden and the treasures and the minerals and the good stuff would have stayed under and we would never have been able to partake of all of their riches. So earthquakes are not always bad. They shake things up, but they always take things down that don't need to remain anymore. And they also show us what does need to remain. And it also lets things surface that are the treasures we've been looking for all along. So today I want to talk to you about earthquakes. We'll begin in Acts chapter 16. I'm going to run through these really quick because I have a lot of information. I respect your time. And I want to uh, do justice to God's word, but I also want to respect you because your seats can only take what your mind, well, your mind can only take what your seats can endure, they say. So when your seats get tired, your mind gets tired, and I've lost all of you. I'll begin reading with Acts chapter 16, and then we'll go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, then we'll go to Isaiah 43, and then we'll go to Amos chapter 3, and then we'll end up in Amos chapter 1. Acts chapter 16, verse 26, reading from the New International Version. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And all at once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Say everyone's. Everyone's chains came loose. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Verses 23 through 26, we read these every time we take communion. We, uh, we are sold out on these scriptures when we take communion every month. But this is a new angle that we're going to take on the communion scriptures. It reads, for I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. And then he broke it into pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper saying, the cup of, this cup is the cup of the New Testament between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. 
Isaiah chapter 43, verses 18 through 19. 43, 18, and 19. Remember ye not the former things, and neither consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Say new thing. This is God. This is not me. This is not another man. This is God saying, don't remember the old ways. Get ready. I'm about to do something new. And then in Amos chapter 3, verse 7. Amos chapter 3, verse 7. If you don't know what Amos is, it's a tiny little minor prophet book in the Old Testament. Just go to your context in the front, and it'll tell you where it is, because none of you are going to find it really quick. Verse, chapter 3, verse 7. Indeed, the sovereign Lord never does anything until he reveals his plans to his servants, the prophets. Say, reveal. So God is going to do something new, and then he tells us in Amos that he's only, he, we, he will not begin that new thing until he reveals it to his men of God, his women of God, his prophets, who will always tell you what God is up to and about to do. Now in Amos chapter 1, verse 1, not going to read it, I'm just going to tell you what happens there, because it's the very last phrase of that verse that I want to focus on. When I was reading Amos, this verse 1, it hit me like an earthquake, literally. This this book, this verse tells about the prophet Amos who was speaking prophetically in the temple of the golden calf. He said that there would come a great shaking and that the land would feel this shaking because they were worshiping false gods. And he ends it with this phrase. Is this will happen two years before the earthquake. Now why would Amos put that in this very opening verse of the opening chapter of this minor prophet book. A book many of you have probably never really dwell, uh, dwelled in or just studied in depth. It's one of those minor prophets that we skip right over. But in the very first verse, he says, God's going to send a shaking because of the nation and it's falling away. And this, he spoke this two years before the earthquake. So this phrase, two years before the earthquake, grabbed my attention and something that something significant was coming. I felt what Amos felt. Amos said that houses and temples will fall, that lands would forever be changed, and some of the foundations would crumble. Scientists today say that Amos' earthquake, if you were to put it on the Richter scale, would be equivalent to a 7.5 or an 8.2 magnitude. This earthquake did happen two years after Amos spoke this in around the year 750 B.C. They said that this, this earthquake and its strength and power toppled cities and toppled walls up to 200 miles away. So there was mass devastation that came from an earthquake. This event was such a life-changing experience for that time and the people that the prophet Zechariah refers to Amos' earthquake 230 years later. So there is something significant about an earthquake when God is involved in it. So I began to study earthquakes. Most of the time, earthquakes were signs of God's judgment. But sometimes they symbolized God's presence. I told you earthquakes were not always synonymous with the bad things, but 
that they can always have some good to come out of them. So today, what the Lord's laid upon my heart is to forecast a spiritual earthquake that God is sending. And it's not particularly judgment, but it is a shifting and a shaking that causes weak old structures to fall, leaving only the strong and absolute structures standing. I'm here to tell you very boldly that God is about to rock your world. He is about to rock our world, not in a negative way, but for His glory and our benefit. Let's pray together. Father, I humble myself as your messenger, for Lord, this is not my words, these are your words. And Lord, I am privileged to speak them on your behalf. I pray, take these weak lips of clay and place an, a, 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 a hot ember from your anointed altar in heaven, place it upon my lips to purify my speech so that I may only proclaim what is in your heart and in your will. I pray that you excite this church. I pray that you challenge this church. I pray that they will apply all that they learned today, Lord, so that they will be the difference the world needs. I pray over this word that they will hear it and understand it and apply it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, has anybody in here ever experienced an earthquake? Probably around here we haven't if you're from this area. I've never experienced an earthquake, but I have felt the earth move. And it's amazing. And I was in a good place. I was standing trackside at the National Hot Rod Association drag racing track. Some of you guys, you know what I'm talking about. And it was there. Standing along the fence, I was, the fence was here and probably right about where the first row is, that's the edge of the track. I was standing on the fence line and when those cars revved their motors and they peeled out, my inside shook. It, I'm not joking. The greatest feeling of power I have ever felt before. Those jet fuel motors revved up, they shook the ground, and they shook the ground with so much power that the two-story glass uh, skyboxes that surround that, that uh, drag uh, uh, course, they began to rattle and roll. You could see the glass just roll in the power that was emanating from those cars. Car alarms that were so far away started going off every time they would rev and they'd peel out. I could feel the power go through me. And I thought to myself, God, if this is anything like your power, I want to know this every day. There was something. I felt the earth move. I felt every part of me move. And it was tickling, but it was also moving. I love that experience. So God began to share with me this message, saying that he wants to rock our world some more. In 1962, a scientist named Dr. Kuhn wrote a, just a revolutionary book called Structure of Scientific Revolution. In this book, Dr. Kuhn uh, coined the phrase paradigm shift. Has anybody ever heard of the term paradigm shift? Come on, there's got to be some scientists in here somewhere. Paradigm shift. 
it's not only a scientific term anymore. It is used in all areas of society to this day. This was 1962. The definition of a paradigm shift is it's new information that drastically changes all the other information as you know it. So what was once believed to be unchangeable is changed in light of the new information. Everything is now funneled through this new breakthrough of facts, a paradigm shift. We thought it would always be this way, but now there's a new discovery that changes all of that. And you have to be open to the paradigm shift. It's a new perception of how you see old things. Some examples of paradigm shifts would be Einstein's theory of relativity, E equals MC squared, changed everything when it comes to space travel. Isaac Newton's law of gravity is another example. When he discovered what goes up must come down. That's Isaac Newton's law of gravity. It changed everything. The example, another example is the discovery of DNA. It changed everything when it was discovered in 1953. Everything from medicine to criminal justice had to shift because of the paradigm revolution. Suddenly diseases and family genetics were better understood. Surgical transplants that were impossible before were now possible with DNA matching. Criminal cases had to be retried to solidify the guilt or the innocence of the criminal. And the scientific world was turned upside down when this shifting revolution was introduced. Another example was the discovery of computers. They revolutionized the business world. No longer would you walk into offices and see rows of file cabinets. People lost their jobs because of computers. They had to go back to school. Business models shifted. Changes had to be made. The computer changed everything. Another example of a paradigm shift is the Internet. The Internet changed everything from the way we gather information to the way we buy and sell. Another example is cell phones. You can't imagine yourself without one. As a matter of fact, the paradigm shift is so strong with cell phones that there is now a psychological disorder known as FOMO, which means fear of missing out if you leave your cell phone at home. Paradigm shift. And guess what we did? We shifted right along with it, didn't we? We're all part of it. We've all got computers. We've all got internets. We've all got cell phones. We shifted. And it was healthy for the most part. Now, man's misconstrued it, and they've taken it and made it work for themselves, and it's wrong. But there are still great things that are in this shift. There's been shifts in the spiritual world. The church experienced a paradigm shift in 1517 when Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses on the Catholic chapel's door, questioning Catholicism and declaring that the just shall live by faith. This rocked the religious world, and the Protestant church was born. 1517, paradigm shift. In your own salvation life, when you believed in Jesus and asked him to forgive you of your sins, immediately a paradigm shift took place because you began to see everything with a new and fresh perspective. The things you once hated you now love, and the things you once loved you now hate. Then there was the outpouring of the Holy Ghost in Acts chapter 2. Probably one of the greatest paradigm shifts that the world's ever experienced. They, in this moment, historic moment, the God unleashed his unlimited power, and it was transferred from God to human beings permanently. And it was that moment that the unstoppable, spirit-filled church was born. A paradigm shift which changed cultures, changed religions, and changed the world as we know it. The Bible says in Acts that they even turned the world upside down. Paradigm shifts. Positive shifts. So life-altering, eye-opening paradigm shifts have been happening throughout history. 
and only those willing to accept those God shift moments will reap the rewards. In his book, Dr. Kuhn talked about paradigm shifts, and he gave an illustration when he put a picture up of a duck. And I've asked them to put this picture up for me. Do you guys have that? A picture of a duck. Did we ever get that stage? Everybody see the duck? Stop, you're ahead of me. Dr. Kuhn was trying to open the eyes of the scientific world because they were pretty well set in their measures and their ways, and they would not they didn't want anything to disrupt their already perfect theories. And they were just theories. There was nothing perfect about them. So he said, you've got to keep your minds open to changes. He showed them the picture of this duck. And he says, now I want you to look at this and look and find the duck. And they found the duck. And then the more they continued to look at it, they started seeing something else. Does anybody see something else? There's a rabbit in that duck. It's interesting that when, when they looked at this one image... They opened their minds up enough to see another image. They didn't just close it off and say, I refuse to see the duck, even though it was facing them. They said, I, I'm opening my mind, and I realize that what I've been looking at one way, I need to look at in a whole other way. So a rabbit appeared from the duck. And Dr. Kuhn showed the scientific world that everything is not as it appears. The same picture can change before your eyes if you dare to change your perspective. So where you once saw a duck, now you see a rabbit. But here's the problem with some people. They refuse to see the rabbit because past experiences have locked their minds into one way of thinking. And this is their mindset. It's all I know, therefore it's all I'll ever know. I don't want to go any further. I don't want to have another experience. I don't want to face that. I don't want to learn anything new. I call this stinking thinking. You are trapped. Your mind is locked down to something new that God is wanting to do. With this way of thinking, being trapped, then your ideology is, my parents divorced, therefore I'm going to divorce. Or my grandma was an alcoholic, so I'm going to be an alcoholic. Or my dad was an abuser, so I'm going to be an abuser. That's the mindset of someone who refuses to shift their perspective and see new ways and other ways out that you're not willing to open up to. These so-called truths based on past experiences are really not truths at all. Because your past is so limited that it may determine whether you see the rabbit or the duck. You're living with a duck mind in a rabbit world. Right? I'm going to get deep here. I need you to follow me. We're talking rabbits and ducks. How hard can this be? And God is trying to tell us, stop looking at what happened in the past and, and, and set your life up on that foundation when I'm opening your world up to a whole new frame of thought and experience. So don't limit yourself to just seeing one image. Open your mind's eye and see that God is up to something new. The mistake that we make when we are trapped in this duck mindset only is that we 
we are believing that our past is the only perception there is and is the only way to see it. I'm going somewhere with this, so trust me. In light of this message today, we have a decision to make. Whether we are going to stay in the familiar boat of past experiences, even though there is a vast ocean of new truth that is being presented to us, or we will dare to step out of the boat, leaving our familiar and limited past behind to accept that God is up to something new and beyond our comfort zone. We have a choice to make. Peter had a choice to make when he was in the boat in the middle of the storm. He had a choice to make. He, his past experience as a fisherman told him the safest place was where? In the boat. A lot of you think like Peter. Peter, stay in the boat. You don't want to get out there. You see what's happening outside the boat. His past experience told him what to do because the boat was small, but it was familiar. Some of you are comfortable in the small and the familiar. God's getting ready to rock your world. <laughs> I'm sorry. He's about ready to take you out of your comfort zone because he's ready to use you to do some great things. He needs great people to do great things in this day and time. You might as well get ready. The, the other 11 disciples, they were determined to stay where it was safe and familiar. But Peter saw Jesus walking on the water. And when he saw Jesus, something leaped within him. Something changed. He's thinking, Lord, if you are calling me into the unknown, away from the limited and the familiar, then bid me come. Now, that wasn't the paradigm shift. The paradigm shift happened when Jesus said, come. From that moment on, Peter's life was going to be forever changed. If Jesus had said nothing, Peter would have just stayed in the boat. Things would have been the same, would have been small, and would have been familiar. But Jesus instantly said, come. And with one word, it changed Peter's perception of walking on water, and it was possible. And Peter stepped out of the boat, and suddenly the paradigm shift began to take shape, and everything changed. He went from being a bench warmer to a water walker with one word. One word. It's the same conditions, it's the same boat, and it was the same friends. But Jesus was showing him that there was a greater way. And Peter was no longer afraid to step into an ocean of opportunity to learn something new and fresh. So Peter was willing to forsake all truth as he had known it before and step from the familiar into the unfamiliar. And as long as his perception stayed bigger than his circumstance, he could rise above any situation. That's an amen moment right there. If you could keep your mind on something bigger, instead of looking at your circumstances, you can rise above any circumstance in any situation. All the others could be bench warmers, but Peter was determined to be a water walker. Now Peter had a problem. He couldn't go through a shift of that magnitude and stay the same. And I'm here to tell you, once you walk on water out here, you can't go back to the boat and think the same way. Woo! It is too late. You will never be satisfied with just a little bitty tender church service anymore. 
You won't be happy with just a little goosebump one hour out of the week saying you've had contact with God. When God moves in your life and he rocks your world and you step and accept that shift, I'm telling you, you will never be able to go back to the old familiar ways. You don't want to have anything to do with it. As a matter of fact, you're going to be so excited, you're going to be telling everybody, you got to come try this. Get out of the boat and come walk with me. Because your mind has shifted and everything has changed. You've experienced it and you've lived to tell about it. Peter couldn't go back to the way he used to think here to tell you, whenever you step out of your boat and you walk on water, your thinking's going to change. Because once you're a water walker, you can't hang around the bench warmers anymore. There's no way. Because you're on a whole other level than they are. If you're a boat person, you need to join a boat church. Otherwise, you're going to be frustrated because you don't understand and appreciate the level of perception that the water-working church operates in. And in case any of you are wondering, Triumph Church is a water-walking church. <laughs> I can't clarify that enough. We're a water-walking church. We have seen the light. We got out of the boat years ago. We got in over our heads, and we have come too far to turn back now. We believe in divine miracles, salvation for the worst sinner, Holy Ghost power that will rock the world today, the end of all racism, that the multitude of sins is covered with the love of Christ. That is the way we believe it. We will not run from that. We will not shun it. We will not back down. We will not reject or renounce it. That is who we are. We're a water-walking church that will not bow down and take what's happening. We are convinced that our best years are ahead of us and we are not stopping. We have jumped out of the boat and we can never go back to the way it was. All of this info that I'm sharing with you, we're now going to bring it all together when we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to bring this text into focus and we're going to show you that a major paradigm shift happens in, this, in these verses. I'm going to paint the picture for you very quickly. It's the night before Jesus is taken prisoner, and he's beaten, and he's taken to the cross. We know this as the Last Supper. They are sitting in the upper room. They are celebrating the Passover meal. This is a tradition that has been going on for 3,000 years for the Jewish people. The Passover meal has been done identically the same. The same prayers, the same phrases, the same songs, the same blessings have been spoken word for word for 3,000 years. And now these disciples come together with Jesus. And it says in one of the verses, it says that Jesus said, I desire with a desire to do this with you. He is saying that I am about to transform your minds. I'm about to transform your lives. You guys have accepted my Passover meal invitation. I'm about to rock your world. Get ready. But they did not know what was coming. But Jesus gets involved with the Passover. And from this Passover meal, see, we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 26 as communion texts. We even call them communion texts. Because we understand that this is after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Now we're looking at this Passover meal in a communion state instead of a Jewish Passover tradition. Because we're looking at it, we're honoring Christ. We're not honoring a Passover lamb. 
because we now realize that Jesus is the Passover lamb whose blood sets us free. But the Jews and even the disciples this night were celebrating this annual tradition which commemorated the exodus from the Israelites out of Egypt under Pharaoh's rule through a series of plagues that was sent by God. This tradition was a meal where an innocent lamb was killed. It shed blood smeared on the doorpost, protecting God's people from the angel of death when it later passed over. If you're new to church or new to Christianity, you need to go back and read this in the book of Exodus because this is the whole setup for what Jesus is about to do to unravel the disciples' world. For 3,000 years, the Passover meal never changed. It was all about the lamb, and it was all about the protective blood. In essence, they were reflecting back on their ancestors' past experience, and there's nothing wrong with that, but God was getting ready to shake their tradition. This particular Passover meal with Jesus was normal in the beginning. He told them to take the bread and eat. That was all right because they had always had the bread at the meal. But it's what Jesus said next that changed everything. He said, take and eat. That's fine. He could stop there. But he says, this is my body. In that moment, he was going off the script. He was throwing something new at these disciples, and they were shaken by this. But everything started to shift when he said, take and eat, this is my body. The disciples said, this is not what we've been taught. This is not what we do. We've never done it this way before. And those are the seven deadliest words in the church, by the way. We've never done it that way before. Don't count, I don't know, it may be April. They were so used to doing Passover one one way. And they were locked into their past experiences. But now Jesus is bringing something new to the table. It is challenging to accept something new when you are set in a structured way of thinking. It's difficult to be progressive because in order to progress, you must forsake some things. Things have to change. Minds have to be made up. Decisions have to be made. It takes courage to accept a new thing. Stepping from the known into the unknown can leave you feeling vulnerable. And that's where some of you may be right now. God's asking you to do something to step out, maybe speak, or maybe lead a life team in the fall, and or maybe te- uh, st- uh, w- w- practice with a worship team, and you don't want to do the lead, and you don't know how to play that instrument just right, or you can't read a scripture in front of everybody. But it's that comfort zone God's trying to pull you out of. See, it takes courage to accept a new thing, and you feel vulnerable when you do step into a new thing. But with one statement, Jesus shifted what was once a duck and turned it into a rabbit. Theology had an earthquake when he said, this is my body. Theology, the world shook. Traditions shook. And all of a sudden, a new word comes out of this experience, and we know it as communion. The disciples had never heard the word communion before, but Jesus was now shifting from an old past tradition of worshiping an unknown lamb and its shed blood to now putting him as being the one perfect lamb whose shed blood can set free all the world. He was changing it. They still hadn't seen the whole picture yet, but he was setting them up for this shaking. 
So all of a sudden we get communion. Now the prophets for 3,000 years couldn't prepare a communion meal because they only had one perspective. Now the disciples had to accept or reject this new way of thinking. They must decide if they will get out of the boat of traditional thinking and walk on water into a new dimension even though they have to go by themselves. Walking with Jesus isn't popular. You can't care what others will think of you. Peter didn't care what the other disciples thought when he stepped out of the boat. His mind was not on their opinions. His mind was on an experience. His mind was not on, I'm going to hear it when I get back. He's saying, I don't know if I could ever go back. That's the mindset he was having. So walking with Jesus isn't popular, and you can't care what others think about you. If Jesus is wanting to show me something new, then I have to step out, turn my head, change my perspective just to get where he is calling me to go. I'm more afraid of being stuck in the duck stage than trying to see the rabbit of what God wants to do next in my life. I, I can't hang around duck people that are limited and closed-minded. I can't hang around them. I've got to move on. I want to just briefly talk to the teenagers. Teens, not everybody can go with you to your next level of blessing. Sure, you're friendly and you hate to see anybody go. You're just trying to hold on as long as you can because you have that fun. But I'm telling you, some of those people and friends and girlfriends and boyfriends, they can't go where God is about to take you. And you don't want them to go anyway because they'll be dead weight if they are there. It's okay to say, if you can't go with me, hasta la vista, baby. That's all. Teens, get ready to say goodbye to some, to some childish things, things you thought were going to be permanently installed in your life. Get ready to say goodbye, but it's a good thing. You're just in the middle of a shift, and the shift is always going to send you someplace good. God sent me to tell you that he is going to do something new out of something old. And he's going to stretch your mind so that you won't be left behind. And if you can handle it, you're on the verge of an earthquake experience with God. I'm shutting down with this. There are two spiritual earthquakes that God is already sending in the church world. We're not talking about America right now because God's got to get the church right before he can get the world right. So there's two earthquakes that God has just shared with me, two shiftings, two shakings that he's going to come. Just as he told the disciples the night of the communion, he says, I'm changing everything, guys. I'm changing everything. I'm not going to rely on the old ways anymore. I'm going to start to do something new. So he says that there are two earthquakes that are coming. Now, earthquakes are just shifts and movements of unsteady foundations under the surface that you can't see. There's some things in your life under the surface that needs to be shaken up because as I said in the beginning, things, the riches that are buried under all these levels of plates and junk in your life, a shaking has to take place for all of those riches, those spiritual knowledge, the wisdom, the blessings, the, uh, the scriptures, everything that's been piled under the layers of junk and rubble in your life. God says, I'm about to shake it, and you're about to experience a breaking so that those riches and everything I knew was in you are going to have to surface. That's exciting. 
So there's a shaking of something under the surface. And earthquakes are unpredictable and they are life-changing. Everything you thought was stable is now shifting and changing. Everything you thought was going wrong and going this way is now going that way. You can't explain it, but God is moving you out of your comfort zone and you're in the middle of a shift. Now, two earthquakes are coming and have already started. The first earthquake is starting with the mature Christians in the church world. I want to talk to the mature Christians. The first shift are, and, and the second shift are going to be for individuals like kids, teens, and young adults. I'll get to those in just a moment. But the first shift is about mature Christians. Mature Christians that have been in church 30 years or more. I'm in that category. 30 years or more, you've been serving God. We've been through all kind of Pentecostal experiences. We have seen and remember all the charismatic movements of the 80s and 90s where services lasted four to five hours and they were running and dancing and flag waving and gold lame blew up all over the church house. We remember these days. These are the days where we thought it can't get any better than this, that this is the way we always want church to be. The 90s movement was my time, my glory days. God knew I needed those experiences. And God says, but don't think on those things of the past. Neither consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. So those past experiences were real and life-changing for me and for those of us who have served God for 30 or more years. And they should never be discounted. But I've got to say with an humble heart, because this is God opening my mind to a new shift. He says, but I'm moving and I'm shifting the church today so it will be relevant in this generation giving them their own glory days. He's saying, you had your glory days and you want to revel in that, but what about this generation who has not really experienced my fullness, my outpouring, my unlimited power? I want to give them their glory days today. We need to accept that a shift is happening and our hearts need to be moved toward God and say, whatever you want to do in me and through me, God, as a mature Christian, I'm not going to be so stuck in my old ways. I want you to open my mind and use me for something new and fresh. We can't be locked into the familiar, comfortable past experiences, thinking that the best times have come and gone. This message rocked my world, and I know it's messing with some of you. And I've had to shift my mind from thinking that church ought to be the way I want it to be to trusting that God has everything under control and it needs to be His way and not my way. Contrary to popular belief, the church is not dying or weak or compromising. We say, but it's not what it used to be. That's the perspective of a duck-minded person. They have eyes, the Bible says, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. Do you understand Jesus was saying, there are people that are stuck in tradition, but I am not stuck in tradition. I am struck in, I am bound to do something wonderful, new and fresh, so that all ages can benefit from what I'm up to. But we have to open our minds. God wants us to shift our perspective and begin to see a better way emerging. The church of the living God is not going away. For thousands of years, the enemies have tried to shut us down. We've been ridiculed, punished, burned, and even killed. We've been told that we are irrelevant, has-beens, and washed up. But the church is still alive and well, and we will not be stopped. 
We roll with the punches. We change with the times. We keep impacting society in the face of adversity. We are the church. So the church services may not look and sound the same or like we think they should. But know this, God is up to something new and something great, and he is about to rock our world. And this shifting is for the younger generations, the kids, the teens, and the young adults and the singles. Our services are not for mature Christians only. God revived me through the former movements of the 80s and 90s. He revived us mature Christians through those great days. He was filling us up then so that we can now be poured out here. I can have my Holy Ghost moments and my private times with God every day. But my purpose in every service from now on is to invest what I know into the next generation. I'll accept their worship songs. I'll accept their preaching styles. If I mentor them and not judge them, then they will spread God's message effectively, even though it doesn't look like my methods. I will build them up. I will guard their souls. I will watch their footing. I will celebrate their accomplishments. I will rejoice in their victories. I am spiritually strong, so I will lift them up when they are weak. Young people, I want you to understand, we have got your backs We are here for you. This is a safe place, and you belong at this place. Now I want to move into the second quake very quickly. I want to talk to the younger generations. God's going to start, and has already started moving and shifting in the younger generations. The movement that he's going to cause, the earthquake he's going to cause, and the mature Christians are going to send tremors, aftershocks, into the, the, the next generation, the younger generation. They're going to follow up, and these aftershocks are going to change society because these young people are representative of society, and they will change society one friend at a time. It takes most of your life to figure out who you are. You've got to sift through all of the rubble and junk that you've been through before until you finally figured out who you are. And sometimes you could be an old man before you figure life out. Abram and Sarai in the book of Genesis were two old people, 90 years old and 100 years old. Their lives were stable. They were old and settled and childless. And they just accepted their life of childlessness as the norm. Now, Abram's name means exalted father. And that's a contradiction because he couldn't have kids. He didn't live up to his name or his potential. Then God comes along one day to Abram and speaks an ocean thought over him saying, you are not Abram, you're Abraham. Abraham means father of many nations. God was saying, there's more in you than what you know. God was pulling out of him what was hidden inside that that he hadn't even met yet. God says, Abraham, that fatherlessness is not you. This is you. He pulled a rabbit where there was once a duck. Like Abram, you have settled that this is as good as life gets. And you have been weak, scared, and intimidated all of your life. But God is about to rock your world. Just be ready for it. Be excited for it. All that negative stuff that was spoken over you, done to you, or has attached itself to you, is about to fall off in the quake that he is sending. And the real and powerful you will rise
rise up out of the rubble with a mighty praise that cannot be stopped. And when you go through a shift, it's important that you hang around people who accept you in the shift and can go with you through the shift. Thank God Abraham married a woman like Sarai. Sarai said to Abraham, if you're shifting, then I'm shifting with you. And that day, Sarai became Sarah because she was willing to take on the shift, jump in and get in over her head and say, whatever God's doing in your life, I want him to do it in mine. Be careful who you connect with while you're going through the shift, young people. You need to take friend inventory. And you need to ask yourself all the friends that you call friends. And you need to ask two questions. Will they push me forward or will they hold me back? Will they push me forward or will they hold me back? If they will hold you back and there's any, any question mark that they will hold you back, you just need to slowly distance yourself from them because you're going through a shift. And if they're unwilling to go through the shift, you don't need them in your life. Don't date people who don't want what you want and go where you go. This is for the adults. That's why we have life teams. You need to attach yourself with important people, with strong, spiritually sound people. You need to link up with people who will encourage you, who will help you whenever you're going through your shifts. That's the purpose of life teams. That's why... Whenever you link up with people who encourage you and go through shifts, those shifting people will be your rock whenever you are shifting, and they will roll with you whenever you're rolling. They are going to be there for eternity because it's a divine connection, and you made it through the shift together. In 2011, Japan had a catastrophic earthquake so bad that it moved the Japanese coastline eight feet and changed the Earth's axis by four degrees permanently. Change things. Even some seasons change because of this earthquake in Japan. A tremor off the New Zealand coast, just right above Australia, a tremor. This was not even the earthquake. This was a tremor. Remember I said that God's going to send an earthquake in the in the mature Christians, and then it's the aftershocks and the tremors to the younger generation. A tremor off the coast of New Zealand moved that massive landmass two feet closer to Australia than it was the day before. One tremor made all the difference in the world. God wants me to tell you this thing, something. This is just this is for somebody. I feel it. Whenever whenever he was speaking to me and I wrote this out. I knew this was going to hit somebody like a lightning bolt, and it's going to just give you so much joy. God told me to tell you this, that the things you thought could never move in your life are about to move. The things you thought were so stable and so solid, and nothing is ever going to change them. Nothing is ever going to change this. It's always going to be this way. God says, I'm about to send an earthquake. I'm going to rock your world to the point that the things you said to me, you even told me in your prayers, Lord, it'll never change. God says, I'm about to show you how I'm going to rock your world. I'm changing your life right now. I'm taking it. I'm going to move it because I am God and I can. He wants to show you how great and powerful he is. When God sends a spiritual earthquake, it's weird when God sends earthquakes because we always think of things breaking up and falling apart. But when God sends spiritual earthquakes, 
broken homes and relationships come back together. See, with God, everything's back. The worst sinner will come through these doors, giving their hearts to God, that sicknesses are going to fall away whenever God sends this earthquake. Depressions and suicidal thoughts are going to let go. And racial, racial strife is going to be healed when God sends this mighty earthquake in our country. And this earthquake in your life is going to lead to tremors in everyone around you. And I close with Acts 16, 26. We open it up with this text where Paul and Silas are in the prison. Death is the next morning for them. They're chained in stocks and bonds. And instead of saying, woe is me, if I had no bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Gloom, despair, and agony. Anybody remember Hee Haw? They weren't singing those old blues melodies. It said they started singing praises, started singing hymns. They started celebrating what God was about to do, not what he had already done. But they were already expecting God to get them out of this stuff. And they began to sing praises and hymns. And as they sang, it says that the earth shook. Suddenly, a violent earthquake shook the jails where they were. And not only were their chains broken, but it says everyone's chains were loosed. When the church begins to say, I'm in this for good. I'm ready for a shifting. I'm excited for what changes God is about to do in me and through me and for me and around me. And it touches lives all around. Lord, I'm excited. I can't wait for what to see what you're up to. God says, now I've got you right where I want you. And in the shifting, you will not be hurt. You will not be damaged. If anything, you're going to be set up higher. And you're going to have a greater experience than you've ever imagined. If you want God to say, Lord, shift in my life, I'm ready for something new and fresh. If that's you, would you stand to your feet and just lift your hands to God and say, thank you for what you're up to. Thank you for what is coming. And thank you that it is mine. It is mine. Lord, this new and fresh thing that you're doing is mine. And I receive it. And I'm not going to shy away from it. I'm going to get out of the boat this morning. I'm going to walk on waters with you. I'm going to leave the familiar and the small behind. And I'm going to step out in an ocean experience with you. And Lord, I'll never be the same again. Lord, I pray over every individual here that stood boldly. Not one hesitated, God. They've heard your voice this morning. And they're excited about what you're up to. Lord, I'm leaping on the inside because I know even in the dark hour our country is in, I'm not worried because you've still got a church. You've still got a people that will bow their knee to you only and will proclaim the truth boldly. I thank God for this church. And I praise you, God, that they, through their life, there will be tremors and aftershocks that reverberate from them and it changes society all around them. The Lord in the schoolhouses, the young people under the sound of my voice, that there will be a spiritual earthquake in their soul, and it will be so powerful that the power is felt outside of their soul, and it rocks the school world where they are. I thank you, Lord, that faculties will know and experience God in your fullness. I thank you that students and friends will know God in his fullness. I pray over workplaces that, Lord, daily that we show up to and we punch the clock. Lord, I pray that every day we punch a clock 
that there's an earthquake that takes place right then and there. And the whole atmosphere is changed because God has stepped into the workplace. And Lord, there's going to be tremors and aftershocks that's going to change the culture and atmosphere of that workplace. Lives are going to be born again. People are going to be healed. Depression's going to flee. That only God's victories will rule and reign in that workplace. I pray over every home represented that Jesus, whenever they drive into that driveway and they step across that threshold, and Lord, there's an earthquake that just tremors through the whole neighborhood because the presence of God has stepped into his place. I thank you, God, that neighbors are going to be born again. I thank you, God, that over the fence we'll be able to pray people through to the power of the Holy Ghost. I thank you, Lord, that we will grow our church one individual at a time because the power within us is too big to keep shut up in me. And, Lord, it's got to come out and change the world around me. Thank you, God, that we have accepted a new mind, that we are accepting of the shift and the shaking that you are sending. And, Lord, that we are glad for it. We're glad that you haven't given up on us. We're glad that you're causing the church to rise back up and be the powerhouse that it should be. Thank you, Lord, that our lives will just reverberate your unlimited grace and love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God is good. God is great. He is, y'all, Angleton is ripe for a great move of God. Oh, it's ripe. It's ripe. Don't say, no, we have to wait a few more months. They're not all.